Well, we uh, continue in this uh, series looking through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, if you've not been here over these weeks, we've been taking uh, one line at a time. This week, we come to give us today our daily bread. In the novel Bella by Jilly Cooper, there's a fascinating moment when Bella is kidnapped and fears for her life. Up to this point in the book, there has been no mention of God except as a swear word, but now she's in serious trouble and we read, she started on the Lord's Prayer. Then she prayed, please let me out, adding, and I'll try to be good for the rest of my life. Well, she does get out. But of course, once she's free, God is never mentioned in the book again except as a swear word. For many, you see, that's how it is. God is like a parachute. There if you're in trouble, but you really hope you'll never have to use it. Prayer is something you only do as a last resort. It's a a 999 call, an emergency service. Something to use when there's really no other option. But Jesus teaches us here in this line in the Lord's Prayer that that could not be further from the truth. He taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. To pray like that is to ask our Heavenly Father to satisfy our hunger. Yes, our physical hunger, our need for daily food, it is that, but it's more. This is a prayer that we'd be satisfied in the depth of our being as well. And so we'll see, these words uh, uh, in this prayer teach us that prayer is a a daily need, uh, that it should be a daily exercise, and thirdly, that it's a necessity for a day of salvation. The first point then, a daily need. God is not someone simply to be turned to in a crisis. He is the very centre of life itself. He is both the provider of all things and the one we need to make sense of life. And therefore, he is the one who satisfies our hunger for food and for life itself. He is the one who satisfies our physical hunger because ultimately he is the source of everything. And he is the one who can satisfy us in life because he is what life is all about. Now this line of the Lord's Prayer demonstrates that in prayer we should express our need of the Lord for everything from daily physical needs to our deepest longings to be satisfied. And if we don't pray, it's probably because we don't feel hungry, either physically or spiritually. If we don't pray, we actually think we don't need our Heavenly Father. See, as Jesus instructs us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, I'm convinced that he had in his mind the way that God provided manna for the children of Israel as they wandered through the desert. Graham Goldsworthy writes these words, Praying for daily bread has a backward-looking significance as it recalls the way God provided manna in the wilderness and then brought his people into land flowing with milk and honey. So uh, look at these verses with me, if you will, in Exodus chapter 16. Page 74. Do you remember the situation? The children of Israel were in the desert. The Lord had miraculously delivered them from the Egyptians and now they're on their way to the promised land. They'd been rescued by the Lord, but now in the desert they felt vulnerable with no obvious source of food. And so they said these words in verse 2 of Exodus 16. In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It was a totally ridiculous thing to say, but then believers often say ridiculous things. 
It is ridiculous because, well, firstly, do you remember way back they were pleading with the Lord to deliver them out of Egypt. It wasn't as it sounds here, we have pots of meat and it's a wonderful place to be. It wasn't like that at all. They were in slavery. They longed to be out of slavery. It was also ridiculous because, of course, the Lord hadn't delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians just so they could starve to death in the wilderness. Their complaint was ludicrous, and if you think about it, bordering on the blasphemous. And yet, do you see how the Lord is kind and compassionate and slow to anger in the things that he says? You see, I I keep meeting people who keep saying to me, oh, well, the God of the Old Testament, he's harsh and vindictive. Not at all. I mean, here they are, moaning and groaning and and, and complaining against him. And look how he responds, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. What a gracious God. And notice two things in verse 4. Firstly, there's the, the promise of daily provision from the Lord. It's an absolute promise from him. And then it's a test for the people of God to see if they're going to trust the Lord. Now we know the Lord was completely trustworthy. We know the end of the story. We know that he kept his promise. So if you look at the end of the chapter, verse 35 tells us that uh, for 40 years the Lord provided for them. Every day for 40 years he rained down manna from heaven. Until verse 35, the end of verse 35, they reached the border of Canaan. They reached the promised land. But here's the point for us today. The Lord instructed them to collect as much manna as they needed each day. Look at verse 15. When the Israelites saw it, the manna, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. This had never happened before. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So here is the Lord's provision. He's given them this uh, bread every morning. Uh, The first day it arrives, what are we to do? Just gather gather enough for you for for today. The Lord's going to do this for for the the rest of the time in the wilderness. Gather gather enough. Look on to verse 19. Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. But of course some of them did. They collected more than they needed. Verse 20. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell So Moses was angry with them. Did you see what's going on? The Lord provided manna. He said he would, and then he did. He provided it because he loves them. He provided it because he wanted to test them, to see if they would trust him, that they would trust him to meet their daily needs. Trust him that he would meet and satisfy their hunger. They were to trust him daily. But they didn't trust him. And this is a subtle point, but crucial. They wanted to trust the thing he'd provided rather than to trust him. They wanted to store up things for themselves. Now look, you see, in teaching, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus is telling us to trust our Heavenly Father to provide for us each day all that we need. Each day we are to wait on the Lord for satisfaction. But we are just like the Israelites of old. The Lord has promised to meet our needs and although he provides for us so richly, we're nervous. Nervous of really trusting him. And so rather than trust him to provide for us daily, 
We gather the good things that he has given us and we store them up and we trust in those things. We don't trust that the Lord will provide for us daily. We look to our bank balances for security. We trust our pension plans for the future. We turn to things for satisfaction. He is not enough for us, it seems. It is our house or our holiday or our hobbies that satisfy us. See, we have so much stored up that we don't actually need to pray, give us today our daily bread. In the summer of 1989, I went to Russia with an organisation that was then called Campus Crusade for Christ. I went with seven others and our brief was to contact English-speaking Russian students and to speak to them about uh, the Lord Jesus. The whole trip was an amazing lesson for me in seeing the Lord provide. I learned a couple of uh, Russian phrases, only a couple. Uh, one went like this, uh, which you can probably work out means, do you speak English? I, I hope it means that. Um, and then the other one, or another one that I learned, was can I have some ice cream, please? <laughs> Not quite as important as the first one, but, you know, there were... Well, I was especially keen to try out the second one on a very, very hot um, a, a summer's day in the middle of Moscow. It was a boiling hot, and an ice cream van pulled up. And I quickly joined the queue for ice cream, practising my Russian the whole time, Morzhna Morozhnaya. Morzhna Morozhnaya, as the queue went down. I wanted to get it right. But before I reached the front of the queue, the ice cream van drove off. They'd run out of ice cream. Now, that was the Russia of 1989. It was at the beginning of Perestroika, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev's programme of economic, political and social restructuring, which in time, uh, rather unwittingly I think, uh, dismantled the Marxist-Leninist-Stalinist-Totalitarian state. And with the introduction of glasnost, another word that you might be familiar with, freedom of information, things would change and have changed now. But in 1989, none of that had actually kicked in. The shops were bare. And as I met English-speaking Russian students, I met people who had nothing materially. I, I met a guy uh, and he told me that he had no soap, run out of soap, didn't know where to get any more. And uh, so the following day we gave him some soap that we had and his face lit up. He didn't have soap. Now, you can see that not getting an ice cream was fairly insignificant in that situation. Now, during that trip, I only met one Christian believer. I spoke to many people about Jesus, and some became Christians, but I only met one who was already a Christian. His grandmother was a believer, and she had told him about Jesus. And it was amazing to hear him pray. He prayed every day for the Lord to provide. He had to. He had no savings. He had no credit card. There was virtually nothing in the shops. Even if he had money, there was nothing to buy. He prayed every day for the Lord to provide. And if you heard him pray, he prayed with real passion. And every day the Lord did provide. And you know, he may have been poor materially, but he was richer spiritually than I am ever likely to be. He knew his Father in heaven was faithful. Give us today our daily bread. We don't pray it because we don't feel hungry. We don't feel any need to pray it. Of course, there are many around the world who do. Uh, the appalling cyclone last weekend uh, in Burma 
means that the people of Burma certainly know what it is to be in need. Those living in the shadow of the Chilean volcano know what it is to be in need, not to mention the millions who never make the news, but nonetheless live on the brink of starvation day after day, year after year. For us, here in the wealthy West, Tesco's gives me my daily bread. And in our house, we don't even have to leave home because online we shop and they drop. But still, this is a prayer we should all pray. Uh, You see, this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is a prayer of dependence. And it's a prayer that recognises that everything comes from God. Uh, Listen to the words of John Calvin. It's a long quote, and I've had them put on this this handout, uh, because I think they're so good for us. You see here what Calvin writes. Christ has given us a rule of prayer which belongs equally to all the godly. Now, some of their number are rich men who have their yearly produce laid up in store. Today, if Calvin was writing today, he might have written, who have enough in their bank accounts for the year. Some of their number are rich men who have their yearly produce laid up in store. Why does he command them to ask what they have at home? and to ask every day those things of which they have an abundant supply for a year. The reply is easy, he says. Well, it wasn't easy for me. Until I read this, I didn't understand it. But anyway, it's easy. These words remind us that unless God feeds us daily, the largest accumulation of the necessaries of life will be of no avail. Though we may have abundance of corn and wine and everything else, unless they are watered by the secret blessing of God, they will suddenly vanish, or we will be deprived of the use of them, or they will lose their natural power to support us so that we shall famish in the midst of plenty. Did you see the point? Calvin says we may have so much, we may have enough grain stored up in barns for the year, or today enough money in the bank to to survive for a year. We may think that a trip to Tesco's with our credit card is all that we need for our daily bread, but Calvin's point is this, all that can change so quickly. Now if ever we can see the truth of those words, it's now, isn't it? as we face the credit crunch, as the number of homeowners facing repossession orders rise dramatically, as people uh, run up the most colossal debts, uncertain of how they will ever pay them off, the credit crunch should make us realise that it's not our capitalist society that has made us rich, that provides for us, or our Western democracy, or scientific discovery, or our economic dexterity. Our Father in Heaven is the ultimate source of every good thing. Every good and perfect gift is from above, writes James in James chapter 1 verse 17. Everything comes from Him. Food, clothes, homes, work, leisure, intelligence, friendship, families, children, sport, trees, fruit, vegetables, animals, everything, everything that's good comes from God. And so we should pray this prayer every day, acknowledging that it's all from him and that it can be taken away in a moment. Don Carson writes these words. Sadly, our very wealth has contributed to our thanklessness, to our bankruptcy. See, our wealth does not help us to learn to trust the Lord. And for that reason, wealth is a dangerous thing. Now, now, don't mishear me. I'm I'm not going to say, and I haven't said, and I don't intend to say, wealth is bad, you shouldn't be wealthy. I'm just saying it's a very dangerous thing. 
because it means that we won't rely on the Lord if we've got wealth. When we lived in London, we, asked, uh, we were asked to put up for a week a young uh, man who'd never been to uh, England before. He was a white Zimbabwean artist called Russ. And uh, he was staying, uh, doing something around the church that we were involved in for a week. And so he stayed with us. He'd never been outside Zimbabwe before. When he arrived at our house, even though he was tired from the journey, he couldn't wait to go around the streets of London. He'd heard so much about it. We lived five minutes' walk from Oxford Street. And so he dumped his, um, his case in the room that he was going to stay in, in our little flat. Um, we armed him with an A to Z and off he went to Oxford Street. We wondered if we'd ever see him again. Uh, but he made it back. And when he came back, he looked terrible. I said, are you okay, Russ? I wondered uh, you know, if he'd been roughed up a bit or, or he'd been mugged or, or nearly run over or something. He was visibly shocked. And he said to Caroline and I, I don't know how you manage to live as Christians in this world. How do you stay focused on the Lord when there are so many things that you could have? So he'd walked down Oxford Street on a gloriously sunny day and he was overwhelmed by the wealth and the choice and he didn't see it as a blessing. He saw it as a curse. Uh, he, he actually, I suppose, knew these words that are on the sheet uh, over the page. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. I love these words. See what the uh, writer of Proverbs says? Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. There's our prayer. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. It's a great prayer, isn't it? Give me only my daily bread. My guess is that we don't pray like that and that we don't actually even want to pray like that because we believe that we find satisfaction in wealth and all its trappings. I daren't pray, give me only my daily bread. God might answer it. And my guess is that we don't pray daily for food because we don't really believe that ultimately everything comes from our Father in heaven. We don't think we really need to pray for it because we'll get it anyway. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us that we have a daily need then and because it's a daily need, prayer should be a daily exercise, secondly. Um, a few years ago, a good friend of mine asked me, where does the Bible teach that we should have a daily time of Bible reading and prayer? I forget actually how we got onto the subject, but it turned out that my friend had been uh, reading a book that was written by a well-known Christian author, and in that book uh, he suggested that the daily quiet time, a daily need for reading the Bible and praying, was not something that we should burden Christians with. It was just putting an extra burden on them when they're busy enough as it is. My friend had felt liberated by this writing. He wanted others to be free from the thought that they should read their Bible and pray every day. And as I say, I don't know how we got into the conversation, but he said to me quite accusingly, where does the Bible teach that we should have a daily time of Bible reading and prayer? Well, I don't think I asked, answered him very well at the time. I can't remember exactly what I did say. But if I was asked the same question again, I know where I'd go now, and you know where I'd go now, straight to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today... Give us this day our daily bread. We can only pray that prayer daily. It's what we saw in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4, isn't it? 
See, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. The Israelites couldn't collect manna, well they could collect manna for the week, but it would go all mouldy, it would be full of maggots by the next day. You, you can't pray, give us this day our daily bread for the next seven days. You can't pray it once for seven days, that's the point, you see. We can only pray this prayer daily. So let me ask you how it's going. How's it going with you having a daily time of prayer and Bible reading? Look, I know that we're busy people. I know that there's, um, there's pressures upon us. But do we think it's important that we have a daily time of Bible reading and prayer? Look, if you don't know where to start, let me uh, encourage you to grab hold of some Bible reading notes. I think these are the best ones around. They're called Explore. There's some of them over, over the way um, on the books, uh, bookshelf there, on the bookstore. Um, so grab hold of these. Um, they'll tell you a little uh, passage to read. Um, give you a little bit of background in that passage, ask you some questions about the passage so you can look at the Bible uh, with a little bit of guidance and then if you do that, then you'll have things to pray about as well. It actually uh, says things that you can pray through but surely there's lots of things you need to pray about anyway. See, the point is this, have you built into your routine a time to pray each day? And the Israelites would have gone out each day and collected their manna. We plan to eat, I presume, each day. So we should plan to sit down and feed on God's word and pray every day, shouldn't we? And if you and I don't do that, let me ask you, why do you think you can survive without feeding on God's word and asking him to help you through each day? It can only be because you think that you can do it yourself. And that is very close to saying that you think you are God. I don't need God. I can do it. Not saying I'm God, isn't it? In one way or another. Now look, I realise at this point some of you might be saying, well this sounds very legalistic, this is just another rule. You're putting a burden on me to read the Bible and pray. No, 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 not at all. Over these past weeks we've been thinking about the Lord's Prayer, we've seen that prayer is rooted in our relationship with God. We all know how the prayer begins. Our Father in heaven. Prayer is possible because of our Father-Son relationship. A relationship we can only enjoy through the sacrificial death of Jesus. A death which changes our status before the living God. So the Bible tells us we are adopted as sons of God, whether you are male or female, you are adopted as a son. You have all the rights of a son. And therefore you can call him Father. Now prayer springs out of that relationship. Every relationship that I'm in survives because of communication, because I talk, because we talk. Caroline and I have a good marriage, I believe, because we communicate. We would have a hopeless one if we didn't. Uh, My relationship with my children survives because we talk to each other. My relationship with my parents survives because I pick the phone up and talk to them. It's all about relationship. So it's not a legalistic thing. And it's at the heart saying, I really believe that I cannot survive without God. Do you really believe that? It's not legalism, it's necessity. Now look, if I don't pray, it's because I think I can do it myself. I think I can get by in life without my Heavenly Father. That's what I'm saying. And I guess we're tempted to think like that because 
On the whole, we don't have to rely on our Heavenly Father. And I've been thinking this week, how can I, how can I, for me, but also for us, really make this feel urgent? And I wonder if it's because we don't live daring lives for Jesus. Because we so love to be comfortable. We like to keep life comfortable. Let me take you back to my trip to Russia where I, I, I had to learn to rely on the Lord daily. I'm not saying I've kept it up. I'm just saying at that trip I, I had to learn it. It wasn't so much in my need for food. We were uh, staying in a hotel. I, I was pretty certain that I would get a meal each day. But I had to rely on the Lord because I was doing things that I couldn't do. I was in situations I couldn't control. It was scary, but it made me rely on the Lord. Uh, All of us on the team uh, took uh, with us Russian tracts to give away and also English-Russian Bibles. Uh, We were told before we went that if we were stopped and our luggage was searched at passport control, that this literature would be found and and confiscated. Um, We would have no literature for 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 the rest of the trip, which would make that difficult, but there'd be a good chance that we'd be sent on the first plane back home. As we arrived in Moscow, I queued up somewhat apprehensively, having been told all this, to go through passport control, and the passenger in front of me had all his luggage searched. So there was me, standing behind him with my bag, with all this stuff stuffed in between my smalls. Sorry, you don't need to know that. And I stood there really worried, imagining the worst. Not just being sent home, but being sent to a concentration camp in Siberia. I'd watched far too many spy films. That would never have happened, but that's what I began to think. And so as I stood there waiting, I prayed. I really prayed. I had to rely on the Lord. How could I get through this? And when it came to my turn to go through passport control, I was waved through without being searched. And the whole team, there were seven others of us, eight of us in all, the whole team, we'd been told to go into different uh, passport control points And all of us had the same experience of somebody before being searched and then when it came to our turn being sent right through. See, it taught me to rely on the Lord. Let me tell you about something else. During the trip, we uh, we did some um, open-air preaching on the steps of the Museum of Atheism in Moscow. Uh, It was great fun, but I was absolutely terrified. We we could have been moved on or arrested or sent home or sent to Siberia again, I don't know. bit of an exaggeration but again I was worried about it and so I and the rest of the team prayed and again the Lord provided we did the open air we met English speaking Russian students we told them about Jesus right outside the museum of atheism it was a real result now just two stories and I tell you them because I think they demonstrate how we might learn to to pray this prayer how we might learn to live this prayer this need of daily reliance on the Lord. If we pushed the boat out for Christ, if we did things that we had never done before, then would it not make us rely on him more? I um, try to set myself a goal each year, every year, to do something for the Lord that I've never done before. And when when it comes to do that thing, it stretches me and it makes me rely on him. But I think this is saying, not every year, but every day. It's hard to think how we might do it, but uh, I know people from the 915 have been saying to me, I'm going to think about how I can do that. How can we do that? A couple of weeks ago, someone was telling me that every day he prays that he would have an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. Maybe that's it. 
I reckon if, uh, if that was on our minds, we might begin to feel this need to rely on the Lord daily because we all feel scared about doing evangelism. Maybe that would be it. I was struck uh, as we were singing this song. You know what we sang earlier? Okay, I chose the song, but you all sang it. Let me tell you what you sang. I will take my, I will take my cross and follow to the corners of the earth And I ask that you so fill me with your peace, your power, your breath that I never love my life so much to shrink from facing death. Golly. Maybe it should have gone quite quiet at that point. It's a great thing to sing and to pray, isn't it? It really is. We should be living lives like that. But I wonder how much hypocrisy there is flying around the room as we do sing it. Well, maybe we need to be praying it as we sing it and praying, Lord, I will keep singing it and I'm not quite there yet, but please make me be there. You see, I think if we live that kind of daring life for Jesus, we would get up each day praying, give me today my daily bread. Give me what I need today to get through today. I'm on the edge here. Now, here's a question. How can you step out to put yourself in a position where you feel that you have to pray every day? What can you do to reorder your life to make you rely on the Lord? Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, It's a daily need then and because of that it should be a daily exercise to pray and um, we'll see that it's necessary for thirdly a day of salvation. See in the Lord's Prayer the word daily Give us this day our daily bread. The word daily, it's an unusual word that is used nowhere else in the New Testament. But it probably means this, of the day that is coming. Daily, of the day that is coming. And so, like so many things in the Lord's Prayer that we've seen over these uh, last few weeks, this prayer has layers of meanings. Yes, we are to pray for our daily need, for the day that is spread out before us. We are to pray for, for food. But we should do that. And any other needs that we have throughout this day, Sunday. But this, you see, points to a bigger day. A day that is so much bigger than this day, of the day that is coming. It points to a day of salvation. And of the real bread that I need for that day. A day when I will finally be fully satisfied if I have this bread. Turn with me to... Uh, John chapter 6, if you will, the second of our two readings as we draw to a close to see how uh, this idea of daily bread is picked up by Jesus himself. It's page 1070-1070 in John's Gospel, John chapter 6. Now you may remember that at the beginning of John chapter 6 Jesus fed 5,000 people. And in the rest of the chapter, he's going to tell us what that was all about. And you'll see that Jesus himself links the feeding of the 5,000 with the manna in the desert. And he says, oh, I'm the real bread from heaven. If you want to understand the story of the manna, ultimately it was pointing to me, says Jesus. Look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, remember they've just been filled, their bellies have just been filled with this amazing food. And this is what Jesus says, verse 32. I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, what was happening in John 6? They'd just been fed. We can have all our daily needs met and still be hungry. Now, isn't that true of our society? Materially, we have never had it so good. We are wealthier than any generation in the history of the world, and yet people are hungry deep down. They're not satisfied. We have everything, and yet we have nothing. And so, do you find this? Do you see this in society? I do. People are striving for more and more and more. They have so much, but none of it really satisfies. I'm not saying none of it's enjoyable. I'm just saying it doesn't really give them the meaning of life. So they strive for more, more money, more success, more status, more sex, more leisure, more pleasure, whatever it is. People want more and more because they have so much and it hasn't delivered, so they've got to keep striving for more. And of course, this world offers so much. Now, there'll be someone here who knows the pain of that right now. Someone who's been striving all their life to find out what is really going to satisfy them. And you've been striving and striving. And nothing has ever really met the need, the deep hunger that is inside you. Well, listen to these words of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Oh, some of you might be saying, well, you know, it sounds good, but I don't really believe it. But it's worth giving it a go, isn't it? It's worth looking into. If you don't feel you can come to him today, it'd be well worth going to Christianity Explores. And it might be you've been sitting in this church for years, but you've never really grasped this. Well, come along to CE on Thursday and learn some more of this one who gives you uh, satisfaction in life. For those of us who already know these truths, these words... We need to come to Jesus every day because every day we are tempted to think that something else can satisfy us. Don't you feel that? I feel that all the time. There is something else that's distracting me from him being the ultimate thing in life to something else, always. You, know, you have to only have to watch the television. All the, uh, all the adverts that come flying in at you. Always thinking, I'm always thinking, well, maybe that's where, mm, that looks good. Other things so, seem so attractive. And that's why we need to pray daily, to ask him to satisfy us. To ask him to remind us that he is where satisfaction in life is found. That satisfaction in life is not found in the trinkets of life. That's why we need to feed on his word daily, to reorientate our, our thinking to know that deep down fulfilment and quenching of our thirst only comes through Jesus. To keep focused on him. The one who satisfies us now and for eternity. As you look on to verse 47. I tell you the truth, says Jesus, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate in the manner in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
So he's saying something slightly different from before. He's saying, I'm where you find satisfaction, I am where you find eternal life. Someone recently bereaved said to me, I can't cope with death. But the problem is, as I get older, I have to go to more and more funerals. I see people having a ball in life and I feel so desperate as I think it's going to come to an end one day. And Jesus not only gives us satisfaction now, but he will satisfy us forever. He deals with the problem of death. Later on in John's Gospel, in John 17, Jesus prays this, This is eternal life, that people may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. John Piper says, The gift of the Gospel called eternal life is not merely the extension of every earthly pleasure. It is the extension and perfection of the pleasures of knowing God and his Son, Jesus Christ. That's why even as a Christian, even as someone who knows that I have eternal life, I have to come to Jesus daily because he is what life is all about. And so daily as I read my Bible, as I feed on Jesus, I reorientate my thinking to think about things eternal and not merely the temporal. My prayer life should be about asking him to make me more concerned about Christ-like character than an easy life. To be more passionate about knowing God's blessing than about a comfortable life. To be more interested in real food, this, than convenient food. To be more concerned to redeem my time than to waste my time. To be more bothered about growing in wisdom than in wealth. I need to pray that daily. I need to pray with the psalmist as we started Psalm 90. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Let's pray together.